We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We got the scripture printed in the bulletin. There's also a place there where you can take notes if you should so desire. We're going to be reading Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Give ear now, this is God's word. And as they, this is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, You must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's word. Well, this passage is about opposition for the church. Okay, it's actually the first appearance of opposition in the book of Acts. And opposition here and in our lives, opposition calls for leadership. Okay, now when you think about leadership, a lot of people have different reactions. Some people recoil from the idea of being a leader. A lot of people don't feel worthy to be be called a leader. don't feel worthy to have... To, to lead somebody else. Um, other people fear that 
calling themselves a leader means committing time that they don't have, right? And uh, let me tell you, let me just start by telling you why God calls all of you to be leaders, okay? Just let me give you a defense so you'll find out. This passage is about developing spiritual leadership, why this is relevant for all of you. It's because God calls every one of you to be a leader. Let me give you some reasons. First, leadership is just influence, okay? That's all it is. At the, at the base, leadership is influence. And so you influence anybody that you're in relationship with, okay? In your family, at home, in the neighborhood, in your community, at work. Anybody you're in relationship with, you influence. And the question is, that, is your influence good or bad? Are you a good leader or are you a bad leader? I mean, you are having an influence no matter what you do. And so in that sense, everybody is a leader. Also, the church needs leaders who influence with the spirit of Christ. Okay, so often the church's leadership has been, or I mean either, well, it both has been and it's been perceived as sort of strong-armed and intolerant, right? A bunch of fundamentalistic people that have blinders on their eyes, they can't listen, they can't hear, it's their way or no way, right? We as a church, we need leaders that don't act that way. We need real leaders that lead with wisdom, with strength, but also with grace. Okay, and so God needs Harbor to be a church full of people that lead like that. And then the other, the third reason why you all need to recognize and own this, this call to be a leader is that when Christians abdicate their responsibility to lead, I mean, now I'm thinking about the city. When we abdicate and we, we back off and say, no, we don't have a voice or no, we don't belong here or no, we're not leaders, it creates a void that others will gladly fill. And so Acts 4, this passage, gives us direction for how to develop into spiritual leaders. And we're going to see it in three points today. Okay, first we're going to see the influence of a leader. You can, uh, and these are the points there on the outline. We're going to see the influence of a leader, the hope of a leader, and the heart of a leader. Okay, the influence, the hope, and the heart. And this is going to help all of us to grow to be more like the leaders God wants each of us to be. And I guess just uh, real quick, I was reading in the, in the paper yesterday, the Tribune, there was an article about the craziest cities. Somebody wrote an article about the craziest cities in the country. And, and we made the list. Woohoo! We're the 22nd craziest city in the country. Okay? And the things that brought us up that high on the list were the number of psychiatrists that are here in San Diego. Um, and then the actual, the number of people who struggle with alcohol abuse. Um, we are seventh in terms of, of psychiatrists in this country. And, uh, and in terms of alcohol abuse, it was interesting. The study actually said that, that they deem people to have a heavy drinking problem if they drink two or more drinks a day. And so we are high up on that list in San Diego. And so when I think about that, I think, wow, the church really has an opportunity to step in there, to step into that gap and provide hope, to provide really a solution, to provide comfort for folks who are dealing with these kinds of things. So we can maybe be a little bit less crazy, at least on this one list. So let's look first at the influence of a leader. Okay, um, What we're seeing here is, is leaders, you know, the title of the sermon is God's Leaders in the Frying Pan. Right? Things are heating up because of this opposition, and this opposition comes from the religious leaders. Okay, verse 1, 
the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, this was sort of the aristocracy of the day. Okay, the Sadducees were the, the leaders. They were the elites of the day back then. And in a sense, I mean, they were really the ones in charge, so they had the most to lose. As Peter and John and the apostles began to have an influence, as, Peter began to, as people began to believe in Jesus, the folks who were in charge of the Jewish religion felt threatened. And because they felt threatened, they were the ones to act. Now, this happens today, right? All of us are going to face opposition. If you take a stand for Jesus in your life, in the workplace, in your family, uh, in, your, in your communities, you will face opposition, okay? Sometimes it's going to be direct persecution. People will treat you differently because you believe in Jesus and they don't like that. Um, and sometimes it's because they feel threatened. You may miss out on an opportunity in the workplace because of your commitment, because you're not willing to do something or because you don't get along. And by get along means you don't participate in what other folks may participate in. No matter what you do, a stand for Christ will mean that you receive opposition in some way. More often than, uh, I guess, than there being direct persecution is that I think we end up feeling the subtle pressure of social of the social dynamics like we'll feel pressure from our friends pressure from folks that we work with just not to talk about our relationship with god i mean that really is more of i think what it's what i experience a lot more um, where people just sort of make me feel like it would be inappropriate for me to talk about what i believe about jesus and so that's often more the pressure that comes or the opposition that comes and in some ways these pressures are opportunities to test our faith. I think sometimes, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously, it causes, like people wonder, well, how strong really is your faith? You say you're a Christian, but does it really make a difference in your life? And some of the pressure comes to quiet us is, is in a sense a test to see, are we willing to stand up for Jesus? How are we going to respond to the pressures when they come? Okay, and so in terms of, our influence as leaders, we see four qualities of leaders, okay, when the fire gets hot. Okay, there's four qualities here that we're going to see. First, leaders are courageous. Okay, leaders have courage. This is verses 8 to 10. You know, they tell them, <clears throat> they stand them in the middle, they throw, they threw them in jail, they threw Peter and John in jail, left them there overnight, they bring them in and they surround them with all the leadership of Israel. And they set him in their midst and say, you know, what are you guys doing? And Peter's response in verses 8 to 10, he's got courage. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, he just calls it. If we're being called, if you want to know, we're standing here because we did a good deed for people. And we're just going to tell you straight up, it was Jesus. Okay, it's not us. It was Jesus. Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. And that new life that Jesus experienced, he is now sharing it with other people. It's by Jesus that this man was healed. And so he is clear. You know, in his boldness, Peter is clear and he's willing to confront. Right? We talked about confrontation last week and how we go about doing that and how Peter was this amazing example of how to confront. But here we see that even when the leaders show up, right? Last week, Peter was confronting the people. 
Here he's confronting the leaders, and his message doesn't change. Right? He doesn't say one thing in one place and then something else when, when the fire gets hot. Right? As he is in the frying pan now, he doesn't change his story. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't try to get out of it. He doesn't kind of shift with half-truths. Peter is clear. I mean, this is why they say that it's when trials come that leaders shine. Right? Because that's where you get to show what you really believe inside. When things are difficult, anybody can stand for anything when there's, when there's no opposition. But it's when opposition comes, it's when the trials come, when it becomes difficult, that's when you find out what is really inside of you. So think, the last time you faced opposition, I mean, what came out? It's courage that makes it consistent. Right? If you have courage. And when leaders do this, they influence others. They give other people strength. Courage is contagious. As the people saw Peter and John standing up and you know, standing strong, they're much more encouraged to stand strong for in their lives. And so as you cultivate courage in your life, it's not just good for you, but it's also going to be good for the folks around you. And when you show courage in opposition you, in a sense, prove that God is real. Okay? You show that God is real in your life when you show courage. So Peter and John show courage. Second, they also know Scripture. They quoted uh, Scripture uh, in verse... Let's see here. Um... Uh, Verse 11, Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What Peter's doing there is he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. Okay, now, that's important. Why? Because leaders know Scripture not just so that they can quote Bible verses at will, not just so they can impress their friends and parties, you know, by being able to quote the Bible, but it's because... When leaders understand Scripture or, or the dynamic that comes out of a leader who knows Scripture is that they were able to make sense out of life because of Scripture. Okay, do you see the difference there? Peter's not just quoting any verse. What he's realizing is that as he is in the midst of the fire, as he is standing before these people, as he is tempted to deny Jesus, as he's tempted to, to crumble, um, he is thinking through. He's praying, obviously. And what's happening is that his mind is, re- is running back over Scripture and he realizes that what he is experiencing right there is a fulfillment of Scripture. That the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks in Psalm 118. It talks about opposition to God's people. It talks about the enemies of God surrounding God's people and, and oppressing them and persecuting them. And Peter recognizes and then quotes this verse because it's teaching him that what they're doing, actually what these religious leaders are doing, is that they are rejecting the very thing that God is going to use to do something new with his people. The religious leaders, these are the same people that rejected Jesus, right? Not, what, 60 days ago. Okay, 60 days ago, two months ago, these folks rejected Jesus, and Peter recognizes that 
what they have done, God is using. Their rejection, God is using to start a new Israel. God is going to build for himself a new people. And it's their rejection of Jesus that's the trigger for that. Okay, and so for Peter, his knowledge of scripture helps him make sense of what he's living through. Do you know the Bible like that? You know, Peter wasn't frazzled by what was going on because the scriptures predicted it. What is it in scripture that makes more sense out of life for you? What doesn't make sense in life? Whatever questions you have, the Bible can answer. And so you got to search scripture. You got to, you have to, you know, you've got to understand what it says because you will find that there is, there is nothing that you have experienced or will experience that scripture doesn't address. The scripture doesn't give you comfort, hope, strength, wisdom. And when you receive that teaching from scripture, it enables you to lead. It enables you to lead. These were common folks. Verse 13, they were uneducated common men. So it doesn't mean you got to become a Bible scholar. It doesn't mean you got to know Hebrew and Greek necessarily. I mean, no, not at all. You don't need to know those things. But when you study scripture, it will give you wisdom and direction in life not just for you, but then God will ask you to help make sense out of life for others. That's the influence that a leader has. So they were courageous. They knew scripture. Third, they had fruit. They had fruit. The fruit, their ministry was fruitful. They had this man who had been healed, right? That's a fruit of their ministry. They got 5,000 people now. Just, well, actually, it just says 5,000 men, so that doesn't include the women and the children. And so it's, you know, on low estimates, you're probably talking about 15,000 people when you talk about the wives and the children who have committed themselves to Jesus. These were people whose lives were being changed. And, this, and so these leaders, Peter and John, they had fruit in their ministry. And it's interesting because it's the fruit of their ministry that put them into this conversation Okay, we've got uh, a discipleship matrix that we have adopted as a way for us to understand what does spiritual growth look like. And if we could put a, I think we have a, just we're going to give you the matrix up here. You know, being a mature Christian just means loving Christ, loving the church, and loving the world. That's what it means. We've talked about how love is knowing, being, and doing. That's what true love is. Well, when it comes to loving the world over here in this third column, it seems like the normal pattern that makes the most sense to me is to do it like from bottom to top, okay? It's do first and then be in relationship so that they can know your faith, so that you'd have a chance to share. And that's what's happening with Peter. Peter has just done for this lame man an incredible act of service and love. He has healed this man, right? Peter is sharing the good news with all these people. Their lives are being transformed, and that puts him in relationship with them. And he is emerging as a leader, right? He's called to be a leader. And it's because of that, because he has been in this relationship, that the, that the authorities come after him, right? The leaders come, and now Peter's got an opportunity to preach Jesus to them, to help them understand what's going on. And so, again, for us, I think when we look, I mean, leaders need to have fruit. The fruit of your ministry, the, the changed lives in yourself, the changed lives in others around you, that's what makes people think that you are a leader. And that's the influence that you have. And that's what gives you a platform to share. 
Okay, and so especially when it comes to the world, oftentimes they don't want to listen. They don't want to know until you have done and been with them. Does that make sense? And so again, we see here that they have fruit. And let me just say, this thing on the, on the fruit here, it's the fruit that kept the leaders from being able to punish them. Okay, look at verse 21. When they'd further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. For the, all were praising God for what had happened. Imagine that. Talk about a vision for a church. This is the vision for our church. This is why we are for the city. It's not why we're for the city, actually, but because we are for the city, because we spend time wanting to serve the city. Wouldn't it be amazing if when opposition raised up against our church, wouldn't it be amazing if the people in this city ran to our defense, both believers and non, because they didn't want to see us go away because of what we were doing here in the city in terms of serving people. Maybe they'd be afraid that they would have to raise taxes if Harbor disappeared because of the services that we provide to our city. I mean, this is a call for us. Leaders have fruit. They have transformed lives. It's when people's lives are being changed that the church gets support from the people. This is why this is why we're involved in the city. This is why we are involved in Generate Hope. This is why we want to support women like Ruth who are serving because what she is doing is the work of Christ. Um, I think about the gay community. You know, and the gay community has befriended us as a church because of our service to them. You know, I've talked to folks from that community who have said, man, I just don't get it because usually churches either completely hate us or have nothing to say to us at all. And yet you are here. Like you're creating a new category for me in terms of how I think about the church. And again, it's because we show up. We do dining out for life because we're showing up at AIDS Walk because we're trying to build relationships. We serve food to folks who are in hospice dying with HIV and AIDS. I mean, because we do these things, we have a platform to share about Jesus. And it's glorious. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, God makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're aiming for. Okay, now, fourth thing about leaders. So they are courageous. They know scripture. They have fruit in their ministry. Fourth, they have Jesus as their number one priority. They have Jesus as their number one priority. Verses 18 to 20. They called him, charged him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered, I love this. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you judge. But we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. I mean, I love this. They were pushed to stop, but they didn't back down. And it wasn't just a brash boldness. Because sometimes that's how it looks. Sometimes we're guilty of that. You know, oh, I'm going to be bold, so I'm just going to tell you what I think, and I'm going to shove it down your throat. That's not what Peter's doing here. Peter's saying, look, you're putting me in a difficult position. I feel like you are putting me in a place where I have to choose between obeying you or obeying God. Which do you think I ought to do? Do you feel the difference there? He's not being brash or arrogant. He's simply saying, look, you tell me. 
Like you would have to decide for yourself. And then he says, I can't stop telling about what I've seen and heard. Peter, he's saying, look, I saw him. Jesus rose from the dead. He came back to life. He passed through death. You crucified him and God brought him back to life. That means he's really important. In fact, that means he's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. God brought him back to life. I saw it with my own eyes. I have heard him teach. And I can't not bear witness to that. Jesus is the most important thing about Peter. Jesus is the most important thing about the leaders that God uses. What is your number one priority? And can people tell if they know you? What would other people say is your number one priority? And again, this doesn't mean that you get in everybody's face. This doesn't mean that you be obnoxious. But it just means that, I guess, can I just say this? It's okay for you to tell people about Jesus and how much you love him. Okay, it's okay to tell people, you know, I don't exactly know what your faith commitment is, but I just want you to know how much I love Jesus. Can let me tell you what Jesus has done for me in my life. Jesus has given me purpose. Jesus has made sense out of the world. Jesus has helped me deal with the dark stuff in my own heart. He's given me some freedom that I can, I don't have to hide the, the stuff I'm ashamed of anymore because he's healing me. And I recognize that my worth doesn't come from being perfect on the inside, but rather my worth comes because the God of the universe loved me. And, you know, we're having a conversation and, or, or maybe, let me just give you my perspective. And the reason I have this perspective is because God himself came and died for me. And so just for me, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to honor him. I'm not pushing it on you. I'm not telling you that you have to buy into this. I'm just saying this is where I'm at. And if you want to know more about it, I can tell you how you can be a part of this, how you can experience the same thing. You know, I mean, that's the approach. That's the approach. And so, and, and again, when you do that, it brings, it brings purpose to your life. It brings clarity to your life. It makes more sense out of your life. It helps you make decisions when you recognize that Jesus is your, your number one priority and that inspires other people. It gives you influence and it will draw people. It will draw the people of San Diego to you, but more importantly, to the one that you're devoted to. So this is the influence of a leader. Our second point, the hope that drives a leader. What's the hope of a leader? This is verse 22. Leaders know what time it is. Okay? Leaders know what time it is. This comes from Luke, not quite from the words of of Peter or John. Verse 22 says, For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Why does he say that? Well, actually, that's right. First and foremost, because it's not too late. This guy was 40. He was more than 40 when he was healed. 
Luke is giving us a sense, if you slow down enough to stop and think about what's going on here, sometimes you read these stories so quickly, if you stop and think, this man was over 40 years old. He had been lame in his legs. He could not walk. And for 40, some portion of his 40 years, they were carrying him to the temple and setting him down so he could beg for food or beg for money to buy food. And after 40 years, he is healed. Can you just think about that? What have you been dealing with for years, for decades? You've been dealing with anything for 40 years or more? Jesus is bringing hope and new life to people that are 40 years and older. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but the Spirit of God can do what's impossible for us. But it's more than that. It's more than just that there's hope for you if you're over 40, although I don't want you to lose that if you are over 40. I mean, hold on to that. Luke uses the number 40 in significant ways throughout his gospel in the book of Acts. Okay, let me just give you a couple of them. In Luke chapter 4, 40 days Jesus spent in the desert being tempted by Satan. At the end of 40 days, Jesus entered into, the Jerus- entered into Israel and brought the kingdom of God. Okay? In Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses, for 40 years, was in exile. And at the end of 40 years, God appeared to him in the burning bush and said, I want you to go and lead my people to freedom in the Exodus. Okay, then also in Acts 7, Luke says that for 40 years, Israel wandered in the desert. And at the end of 40 years, they entered into the promised land and got to experience the blessings of heaven on earth. You see a pattern here? The conclusion of this, this lame man who was healed He's a picture of the nation of Israel. Luke mentions his age specifically because Luke is saying that what's going on here is the end of one era and the beginning of a new era. Luke is saying that the lame man isn't the only one who is being healed. That what Peter and John are doing by proclaiming the good news of Jesus is that they are announcing a new exodus. They are announcing a new salvation. God is doing something new here in the world. And it means that there is hope and resurrection and healing and comfort and power and significance for everyone. He's saying that that 40-year period is over. Now, this is why Peter says in verse 12, There is no other name under heaven by which someone can be saved. There is salvation in no one else. It's Jesus who is bringing about this new thing. It's his death and it's his resurrection that brings hope and life. No one else has lived for you. No one else has died for you. But Jesus, he is bringing in, and God is still doing this today. He is still setting people free from addiction, from, um, from marital problems, from just deep darkness, from brokenness, from slavery to work, from relationships that are destroying them. He is still healing people from that. And leaders know that we are living in these days. Leaders know that we're living in this day of this new exodus. 
they know that this is what God is doing in San Diego. And that's what gives them hope. Gives them hope to try to influence because God is at work in the world. He's at work in our city bringing healing and happiness and joy and salvation. Have you experienced this? Do you recognize that if you have experienced it, this, like your experience of salvation is part of this bigger thing that God is doing and God wants to include everyone else in it too. And he wants you to share your experience of it with others so that they can find the hope that you have found. So that's the hope of a leader. Our last point is the heart of a leader. The heart of a leader. So we've seen the kinds of leaders that God uses. One way to ask this third question is, well, why were they like this? Another way to ask it is, how can we become more like this? Right? Maybe some of these things you're thinking, okay, I got this one, but I'm failing on these, areas, you know, on these other areas. What is it that really motivated them, and what is it that can help us become more like these kinds of leaders, can give us the influence and the hope? Well, the text tells us. It gives us really two things. It says, first, that they had been with Jesus. Verse 13. This is just amazing, right? They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you love him? Right? Do you know who he is? Are you in a relationship with him, and are you serving him? And that's, that's how it works for us. How much time do you spend with Jesus? I mean, if you want to be this kind of leader, if you want to have influence for other people or influence on other people, not manipulation, but if you want to influence people in the way that God would work in their life and they would be able to see what God is doing in their lives, how much time do you spend with Jesus? You know, and there's different people that do this in different ways. You know, you spend time with Jesus when you read his word, right? When you look for him in the pages of scripture, when you understand who he is, why he came, and what he's done for you, what he does in you, what he does through you. You know, he lived and died. We talked about that. He lived for you. He died for you. But he also lives in you. Right, look at verse 8. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. When you trust in Jesus, when you commit to him for the first time or the 101st time, his spirit comes upon you and fills your life. His, Jesus' presence abides in you. <clears throat> and he changes you. Your old self, the part of you that, that ignores God in your life, that dies. And Jesus raises you from the dead. He gives you a new heart, a heart that loves him, a heart that loves the church, a heart that loves the world, right? This is the work of of Jesus in you. And when you spend time reading scripture, it cultivates that sense of Jesus being with you. Now, it's not just through scripture. Showing up here at church is a way to be with Jesus. We sing his praises. You are connecting to him as you sing to him. 
We're spending time with him. As we spend time with each other as a church, we are the body of Christ. We need the Jesus in each other. And as we love each other, we experience more of who Jesus is as we care about each other. Praying. You know, the things that we look at as the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life that for some people feels like a laundry list of to-do things that really becomes very draining. Turn it around and just say, you know what, these are avenues where you can spend time with Jesus. And when you do this, His Spirit fills you and you, can, you become more courageous. You understand Scripture better. You can make more sense out of the world, right? You have, you'll have fruit and Jesus will become your number one priority. Like it's how these things get cultivated in our lives. This is why common, uneducated people can have such a great influence. Because it's not about the learning, it's about Jesus. Do you know him? So they had been with Jesus. And not just that they had been with Jesus, but they had experienced grace. This is the second way to cultivate. This is the heart of a leader. A heart of leaders. He spends time with Jesus. She spends time with Jesus. They've also experienced grace. This scene is the redemption of Peter. The last time Peter was in this place, he failed. No, not the last time. The last three times, right? Peter was in this place. He failed. Not when the rulers were surrounding him, but when slave girls asked him. He crumbled and failed. He denied Jesus three times. But after he failed, Jesus sought him out. Jesus found him and restored him. Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, you know I do. And Jesus said, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I do. And then Jesus asked him a third time. And when he asked him the third time, it hit him. It hit Peter. Peter knew that Jesus was asking him once for every time he had denied him. He was giving Peter a chance to confess and to come back. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I do. And every time Peter said, I want you to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my church. You know what's remarkable about that? Is that when Jesus is looking for leaders, what he wants them to experience more than anything else isn't triumph. It isn't doing it right every time. It's grace when they fail. It's grace when they fail because every single one of us has failed to be this kind of leader. Every single one of us hasn't measured up to what Peter does here in this one instance. And so if Jesus were only looking for leaders that were already like this, there'd be no leaders in his church. But instead, Jesus is in the business of coming around people, men and women who fail, and saying, look, let's get back to basics. Do you love me? Because if you do, you are forgiven and I want you to lead in my church. I want you to influence other people. The Bono quote from last week, if you, were, if you remember, Bono said, uh, 
my heroes aren't the people that never fail. My heroes are the people who fail and then come back from their failures. The only way to come back, the only way to feel like you've got the opportunity to come back is grace. It's grace. All of the influence of leaders flows from being united to Jesus in his resurrection, right? Courage comes from the resurrection of Jesus because God raised him from the dead. So what do you have to fear, right? Knowledge of scripture comes from the resurrection of Jesus because that's where you get the spirit that teaches you the scripture to understand it for yourself. Fruit comes from the resurrection of Jesus because it's the resurrection of Jesus that brings in salvation for people. Having Jesus be the number one priority is a fruit of the resurrection of Jesus because it's him who, got, who grabs a hold of your heart and doesn't let it go. Well, if you have failed to live out the resurrection of Jesus in your life, then you need to come to the cross. Every time we fail, we come back to the cross because it's at the cross where Jesus says, I know what you've done. Do you love me? Because if you love me, then we can keep moving forward. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you know my heart. My heart, I love you. <laughs> and I got to say that because I know how often I have failed to be this kind of leader. Would you please send your spirit among us? so that we would sense your love, that we would sense your forgiveness. And if we doubt, help us to see again the cross, that cross that says, I died for you. For those, Jesus, who are here and haven't yet committed to you, would you speak to them right now? Send your spirit to them and show them the kind of influence you want them to have and give them a clear pathway to come to you. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from your unrighteousness. Jesus will receive you with open arms. He'll receive you with open arms and he will make you into someone who can make a difference for his kingdom. Jesus, help all of us, both Christians and non, to draw closer to you. Help all of us to find the areas where we don't allow you uh, to lead us. Bring your grace into those areas of our lives. Bring your forgiveness and your cleansing power so that we can be an influence, so that we can grow in our own spiritual leadership to be able to show other people what we've experienced and show them the way forward. We pray this for our city and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.